welcome to the Super Oddcast, a somewhat sporadic look at what's going on in the Pokemon trading card game and its surrounding community. I'm Kirk Snacks Dubay, alongside regular co-host Jeffrey Saran Rap Saran, the slick dark chocolate. How you doing, my guy? Staying milky smooth over here. Uh, you know, having fun, man, playing with a lot of decks. Uh, y'all going to see hear about Dark Bucks here soon and had a Worlds meta call, uh, meta discussion call recently, too. So staying busy, trying to get all this content out for Worlds. Absolutely. And those episodes are going to – this episode and that episode are going to drop back-to-back. I'm just going to throw all the content out there. And uh, as Jeff mentioned, he uh, wrote a pretty excellent article uh, on Dark Box that's hopefully going to be up on someone's PC, uh, edited up and before uh, posted before Worlds as some free content, right? Absolutely. So looking forward to that. You know, they gave me a platform to write my Lost March article uh, before Roanoke, um, and that turned out pretty good. So maybe a lightning will strike twice for the SRC boys. Anyways, that being said, we've got uh, one of my good friends in the game and somebody I always try to find time to, to chat up, uh, Mr. Mikey Fouché. How are you? Good, sir. Dude, I'm doing really good, man. Uh, I didn't really play too much Pokemon this year, um, kind of... Took, took the year off competitively, got a new job, and I uh, played a lot of Hearthstone, actually, competitive Hearthstone. We've talked about that a little bit. Um, but with uh, the Worlds and DC Open coming up, a new format, uh, a new set coming out, it's really exciting, and I've been playing quite a bit, uh, both to help some of my friends get ready, practice for Worlds, and just because I think it's a, I think it's fun. It's a fun environment right now. It's a great. It's kind of like the Wild West. Everybody's coming up with some uh, pretty creative ideas, brand new. You know, uh, this is probably the first time uh, in a long time that there's been so much dissension on what matchup percentages are, oh, yeah. um, what people think the best mm-hmm. decks are, uh, what's viable, what's not. So, uh, pretty excited that uh, we found ourselves uh, kind of the common glue is what this whole episode is going to be about, and that's the Behem deck uh, that uses mysterious noise to item lock your opponent. Um, I'm going to go through just a little bit of what the gist of the deck that we created does. Um, and then I'm going to pitch it over to Jeff to kind of, uh, who brought this idea to my attention and eventually Mikey, uh, brought himself into the fold. So, uh, essentially you try and set up behind Mareep using, uh, the fluffy pillow ability that puts your opponent's Pokemon to sleep along with slumber forest to kind of trap them, uh, asleep as you cycle through mysterious noise to deal 90 damage uh, lock their items using uh, the 3ce the triple acceleration energy uh, card to kind of uh, get attacks going and then you have uh, some support pokemon like pidgeotto that uses air mail look at the top two cards put one into your hand one onto the bottom of the deck uh, and then some uh, some pretty interesting techs uh, that Mikey brought into the fold, and we'll talk about those. But the core of the deck started with that idea. Put them to sleep with uh, Mareep, cycle into Behem using U-turn board, uh, mysterious noise to item lock them, and then just kind of give your opponent a lot of trouble. Uh, as you know, we know that the the uh, the format right now is incredibly item heavy. Every deck has has to play quite a few items and uh, you know trying to uh, catch our opponents with the pants down uh, using that strategy so uh the saran wrap jeffrey saran uh tell us how you kind of came onto that idea uh what you cooked up and then you kind of reached out to me and i got pretty jazzed about it and uh decided to jump in uh with uh with both feet with you on this deck so bring us through it yeah so the first uh person that kind of came up to me with the deck um prior to 
to this, I haven't really looked at the set list as it hasn't been announced yet, so I haven't really seen like you know what the different Japanese sets were what we're bringing. But at NAIC, I was uh, playing Pokemon Stadium with my little brother, and Frank Persick uh, approached me and said, "Hey, bro, you know, just kind of you know catch, catching up on stuff." And then uh, he goes, "Hey, you you know what you're playing for Worlds yet?" It's like, "No, not at all. We got like forever." He goes, "Look up Behemoth," and I kind of rubbed it off. Like, "All right, cool, whatever, yeah." And uh, so later on that drive, we're headed back home, and I'm like, "All right, I'm gonna look up what this dang card does." It's like, "Oh, item lock." And the first thing I kind of I kind of rubbed it aside a little bit because I never play that kind of deck. But I started messaging him, and he was like, "Yeah, you could play Gumi, you could play Mareep, you use Pidgeot to draw. Like, I, I think it can actually be something." So it started to pique my interest, and I was like, "All right, let's kind of see what goes with this." So fast forward a little bit, we get uh, Hunter Butler uh, on uh, the call for uh, his NAIC Top Eight finish with uh, with Spirit Tomb and Sunfist. And at the end of the call, um, he, he mentioned on there that him and uh, Frank played uh, the Spirit Team stuff this list together. So out of the whim, I was kind of like, hey, are you playing Behem also? And he goes, yo, that car's busted. So I was like, all right, well, I guess there's a lot of people on the train here. Um, Hunter, after the call, I asked him, hey, you know, can you shoot me the list, what you guys are working on? And he sent me the initial 60. Initial 60 was more uh, Gumi heavy versus the sleep version. Uh, the Gumi being uh, forcing your opponent to have to attach an extra energy to attack than what they normally have. Uh, so that was the initial iteration. Uh, heavy blue strategy had some reds in there. Um, played max of every consistency card, you know, Poke Gear, Acrobike, Treasure, uh, all you could think of. Uh, and also played Reset Stamp too. So that was kind of the initial iteration. So uh, we started talking, going back and forth, and eventually, uh, you know, I started talking with Kirk as well because Kirk was also on a call. We mentioned Behem. So uh, we got Kirk in there. Kirk really loved it. Kirk, Kirk was just like, "Yo, this is the nut. This is my kind of thing." I need this. It's like, all right, you can have it. It's all yours. Uh, so we started going back and forth, different ideas. We started rolling to what we felt was you need to have more Mareep in the deck to actually solidify the lock and do what the deck's intended. So we ended up on a heavy Mareep deck, uh, deck build, and kind of kept everything consistent and true from there before we got to the text that we're at now. And we started to find out different things that the deck lacked. Um, you know, Pika Rom started adding in Dong Wings Necrozma to work around sleep. Uh, uh, you know, non-GX decks like Giratina can, can work through stuff to get a turn of spell tag. Dark Box seemed like a rough mashup. So we started trying to think of different inclusions to add to the deck. Kirk posted the first list of Twitter. We got a bunch of feedback. People playing so many different ideas. Uh, you know, uh, some were playing Cell Valley with Keldia, and some were playing uh, Alola Ninetales, and that was a Mia Violet inclusion. So we, we took some of that to to uh, to, to uh, you know to our side there, and kind of you know what can we add that actually adds value to the deck. And two things I think we added recently that really took the deck over the top was Alola Ninetales and Copycat, and we were both upset that we missed copycat at first <laughs> copycat is probably the best card in the deck in my opinion and it, with the common item locking your opponent's hand high the car is busted so we added some different cars and the feedback from that first initial post and then we made a second post um adding a couple one of supporters adding the nine tails and kind of see where it gets wits from there and i believe at that point is when uh mikey dm'd us um his iteration his couple ideas for the list um, and the biggest thing we got from that is uh, Dugong. And I'm not going to lie, I was the first one to say absolutely not. <laughs> and then after actually playing with it a little bit and playing with Kirk, I was I, I changed my opinion immediately. And I was like, I, I, I can get on board with Dugong. Um, and I believe Mikey had a couple of versions that we traded, tried as well with Shedinja uh, to really you know stop that prize trade as well. I'll let him speak on that behalf a little bit more. But ultimately, it was just a lot of back and forth between, you know, Frank coming to me. 
All right, we went back and forth with Frank. I got Hunter involved. Hunter shoot me like an initial base list. Then Kirk and I really got on a train. You know, I was testing at least, you know, 15 to 20 games a night between even like games against myself and solitary to really get to the good 60. And once we had that base list going, Kirk really refined it with a couple additional pieces. We found Reds wasn't good. We actually limited Blue's strategy, even though we felt it was a good card. It just came at awkward times. So many different pieces we kind of came off and on of uh, to get to the 60 we're at now. Yeah, and we're pretty pretty excited about the 60. We'll obviously uh, you know, put it on social media when this episode goes up. Uh, we're not uh, going to stifle that information, of course. We'll, we'll get you the, the list that mm-hmm. I'm, I'm confident enough that I, I would be almost committed to. Uh, I could lock it in right now, and I'd feel pretty comfortable about the 60 we've got. Um, so let me uh, – that, that was a great little backstory, Jeff, but I want to yeah. jump over to Mikey. Mikey, mm-hmm. how did you come across this? Uh, I mean, I'm assuming you came across maybe on Twitter or a conversation with somebody, um, but it was it was very interesting because it's incredibly rare that Mikey starts a, a Facebook group chat to, <laughs> to, to start discussing something. Um, so uh, t- talk to us how you got on the deck and yeah. started working on it a little bit. Yeah, sure. So, well, this is – Behem is definitely my type of card, right? So, like, I – one of my – better finishes in the recent years that I got second at a regional with a Selgor Wubbuffet. Um, and I played a lot of different Selgor decks, uh, even when I wasn't really playing uh, that often. Um, and so so I love the idea of a Selgor and Behem is kind of, you know, the, the natural descendant of Excelgor. So I was actually talking to Charlie Lockyer, uh, like the end of June, like right, right after, right before NAIC, I forget. Um, and he told me about this card and he told me that he was like, Oh, I'm going to try like 4-4 Behem, 4-4 Pidgeotto. And then he, we kind of talked about a couple different ideas and he mentioned the Mareep with the, with the sleep stadium. And I was like, Oh, that sounds pretty good. So I kind of like made a rough list and, then once uh, the once untap kind of became a thing and we were able to start messing around on that, I, I threw together a couple of different lists. And so I was kind of like messing around with it, not super seriously or anything, just, you know, kind of kind of trying it. I feel like the hardest thing with the deck is not not really the like Marie versus the other wall stuff. I feel like that was a pretty at least for me, and it seems for you guys as well, uh, it seems like it was a, that was a pretty quick conclusion that Mareep, the sleep stuff is the way to go. Like, Gumi doesn't do enough in this format. Uh, you know, making them take one more energy when Picaram accelerates three energy or Welder attaches two is just, it's not super impactful, right? So, um, Mareep was kind of the, ob- uh, that, that came, that came quickly. But the harder thing is figuring out what the engine to run is. So, uh, originally I, I was thinking, do I run the heavy Pidgeotto? Do I try a heavy Zeb Stryka? Is there some type of mix between Pidgeotto and Zeb Stryka? And kind of you talked about all the different supporters that you could play. Um, Blue's Tactics, I think, is, uh, I agree, one of the more interesting potential inclusions. And, uh, it is cool and it just kind of doesn't, Qu- doesn't quite do enough. I, I, I agree with you there. So anyway, so kind of fast forward, I, I was testing and then then I saw you guys start posting on social media and I saw also Finn Finnegan Lynch from Cutter Tap had posted uh, a, a couple lists on some of his articles. And I was like, all right, well, these guys, these guys have really been grinding some games with it. So let me try to talk to them. And so, yeah, so then I messaged you guys and here we are. Here we are, and we uh, I think we got to a pretty good spot, a pretty good spot. So um, just to talk about kind of uh, what 
we consider the air quotes final version, if I can take the liberty to say that. Um, and I'll just kind of go through some some things, uh, some kind of highlights um, so far. So, and I actually, I think I'm looking at a, an old list. That's embarrassing. You want me to read it off? I have it in front of me. Oh, man, we changed a bunch of stuff. How old is this? Okay, I found it. I found it. I found it. Okay, so first off, played the 60 HP Pidgey, not the Collect Pidgey, uh, because the 60 HP Pidgey has more HP, and you can't use Collect anyways. Um, but we ended up with three Mareep, and the reason we went down on Mareep, even though the, the sleep strategy is pretty important, is because we wanted to make room for a 2-2 two, two Ninetales line, as well as a 1-1 one, one Dugong line. Uh, obviously, Ninetales is a phenomenal pivot against all the GX decks. Um, you can go sleep heavy in the start of the game um, to go ahead and mitigate all that, of course. That's certainly within the realm of possibility. And then the 1-1 one, one Dugong line, which helps a lot of things. Uh, it can clean up Pokemon. It really has a lot of value in the Malamar matchup, uh, surprisingly enough. And that's kind of where Jeff and I, when we were testing that, we it just would randomly like, okay, well, if I can get a Dugong out, so I'd like... Second to last turn with two prizes left, I would just, you know, bench Ditto and Seal, and then I would just Dugong two pre-damaged Malamars or an Inke that hadn't evolved yet. Uh, it's also a hilarious attacker if you're going first to hit two Inkes. Like, they still need to recover from that. They still need Inkes to do their strategy. Uh, but you can really put them on the back foot uh, by taking some cheeky knockouts there. Um Another big change is the amount of stadiums, so down to three Slumber Forest, but two Power Plant, and that's really to combat, as Jeff mentioned, uh, the Dawnwings, Necrozma, the Dark Box, um, even, you know, stifle some starts from Dedenes and things of that nature, um, and Stadium Nav to get those out of the deck. It's kind of the timer ball for stadiums. Uh, and as Jeff mentioned, Copycat. And the reason Copycat came into such big play, and I was very uh, reluctant on coming off of Blues, is because Blues was the best transitional supporter in the deck, going from the mid-game to late-game. Because if you play down your whole hand to get the lock set up, which is essentially another Elgium, uh, a Behem, a 3CE, playing blues after you had done all that and filling up to nine pretty much guaranteed you weren't going to miss for the next two turns. Well, in the mid game, when you've item locked your opponent so many times, their hand gets clogged up to a ridiculous amount. So playing copycat and getting 10 cards effectively does the same thing without the pre-requirement of having to have all the pieces in your hand beforehand. So that really helped uh, declog kind of the issues we were having in the mid game. Um, of course, uh, for Cynthia, one professor, or excuse me, one professor Elms lecture, four professor Elms lecture to get the setup going, uh, and uh, one of my favorite supporters in the deck, which is Sightseer, uh, and that's quite literally middle to late game. You can literally Sightseer for no cards if you already have what you need in your hand, but it's just to thin out extra Elms lectures, extra Pokemon you're not using, any random supporters that you might not use, uh, an extra stadium or U-turn board, what have you. Uh, so pretty, pretty, uh, interesting card there. And lastly, one Tate and Liza. So you can actually do the switch between putting them to sleep and then spinning into a nine tails, uh, to do, uh, with the luminous barrier to protect from GX attacks while simultaneously trying to trap their one GX in the active, uh, because that's one thing that some decks can do is, uh, pivot around by hard retreating and it just takes you a little bit longer to take knockouts. So I think I've gone over the deck, uh, in a pretty, 
concise fashion. Jeff or Mikey, anything you want to add there before we press forward to some matchups? Yeah, uh, did you, uh, I may have missed the stadium count part there, but we, we are uh, we just shifted to three slumber fours, two power plant. Did you mention stadium nav being the one card inclusion to really get those power plants when needed? Um, I, I just mentioned that it was the timer ball like stadium, but talk about okay. that, Jeff. Yeah, stadium now is probably like one of the last inclusions to the deck because it's just that uh, big fine card you need, and it's being I think it should be included in a lot of lists, especially if you're a stadium dependent deck. Um, and the biggest thing is because we're playing that split stadium, needing to find the power plants in the right time and the slumbering force at the right time, having an additional stadium essentially, uh, you know, can help you dig those cards out. It also can thin out two cards out of your deck when you're trying to dig with airmail to get to those last, uh, you know, energy, uh, acceleration energy or the last behemoth piece. Uh, every little card in this deck has, you know, pseudo value throughout the whole game, whether it's, you know, thinning for the airmails, um, you know, different things like that. And I really love the inclusion of the stadium nav. Mikey, anything yeah. else you want to touch on um, before we talk about matchups? Yeah, well, so one thing, and then I have just a quick question. So uh, just to elaborate on Dugong a little bit more, so you kind of talked about its utility in the Malamar matchup, which is all true. Um, and funnily enough, I did when, when I was first thinking of Dugong, I wasn't even really thinking about the Malamar matchup. What I was uh, experiencing in some of the games that I was testing, especially versus uh, something like Picaram, is that you know they might send up a, a tag team and you would hit it twice and then since they have free retreat with Zorora, uh, they can just kind of bring it to the bench, especially if they have the Dawn Wings uh, mm-hmm. in the deck. Um, and so what was happening in some games is that I like I would have you know the Alolan Raichu, I would have hit uh, twice and I, the the P- two Pikaroms I've hit twice and I've hit a Zorora twice and it just like there was all this damage on the field, but I still had five prizes left. And, you know, if the game is going that long, I mean, yes, they have to flip twice for sleep, but they have some counter stadiums. And, you know, if they're flipping twice for sleep enough times, they're going to wake up sometimes. Right. And so it kind of was like I was like, if I if I if I played counter catcher, I would be able to, you know, win the game much quicker. Um, and the deck doesn't have space for counter catcher, nor you're, and, and you're already digging for so many pieces each turn that I don't think it's very feasible to play counter catcher in this type of deck. So Dugong was a way, in my mind, to kind of help uh, close, out, close out games where you were clearly uh, clearly should win, but maybe it was taking too long and you didn't want to mess things up. So, so I'm glad that it's found other uses as well, but that was kind of my initial thought about it. Um, and then just quick question, because you didn't mention these supporters, and I'm not sure where you currently stand on them, but uh, Brock's Grit and Lusamine. So Lusamine found its way out because our supporter count uh, has gone up so high, and the Stadium Nav being an item, mm-hmm. uh, kind of to your point, uh, when Mikey were discussing, Brock's Grit and Lusamine seemed to be something where there was a, it was a big point of contention. Um, and that's because you want to be using your supporter for the turn doing literally anything else. You know, finding the pieces effectively. Um, Stadium Nav, uh, two power plant, three slumbering forest, took us off of Lusamine because, you know, we, we were not rinsing supporters really with Lusamine. The idea was to make sure we always had the last stadium on the board. For example, against Dark Box, putting down power plant, uh, against, um, 
Picaram putting down Power Plant uh, against Reshizard, Slumber Forest. You know, th- there's just different ones you want at different times. So we thought uh, having the higher count Stadium Nav to get the right ones or, or burn the one we don't want. For example, mid-game against Reshizard bouncing their second Stadium with a Power Plant. So you still have a higher number of slumber- Slumbering Forest to finish the game out with. Um, but we did end up with one copy of Brock's Grit. And the reason being, mm-hmm. uh, the matchups where you want Mareep Three copies do need to find their way into the deck. So the best time to use Brock's Grit is when there's literally only two Mareep in the discard. That's Mm -hmm. the best case scenario, right? Because super late game, you're going to end up clogging your deck back up with a lot of random Pokemon, which kind of Sightseer bails you out of that. Um, But mid game, when you've kind of got everything together, maybe a big hand after a copycat, you know, you're good for the next turn to set up. Just Brock's Grit, a couple Pokemon back in that can be your... uh, pun intended, sacrificial lambs to to uh, 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 sit behind to, to set up your, your behems. Kirk, and you cut out there. Oh, I cut out there. Um, what part did I cut out at? Can we you didn't hear, hear your pun. Oh, you didn't hear the pun? It's <laughs> the best part. I said uh, uh, recycle uh, Mareeps uh, to use as sacrificial Jeff, lambs. Jeff, are you there? Yeah, I'm still there. <laughs> okay. Can you hear me? I can't hear Kirk at all. Can you hear him? Yeah, I can hear him. I can hear him clear. Okay. I can't hear either of you very well. Mikey. Mikey, help us. Can you hear us at all? Okay. Now I now I can hear you. Okay. Okay. Yeah, now I now I got you. I don't know what happened. All right. So the the pun was sacrificial lamb. Buying back Marie for sacrificial. Ah, okay. Was okay. the pun. Now it's terrible. Gotcha, gotcha. Now that we've gotcha. got the audio, so I'm leaving all that in. That's just how we're gonna do that. <laughs> uh, but Broxford did find its way in as our mid game. Uh, you know, just kind of. Whenever you're in an off turn, in some games you won't even use Brock's Grit, and that's okay too. But there are games where you can't make it through without it, and whereas you could win a game having not the most ideal stadium locked in play, you can't win a game if you don't have things to pivot into. Yeah. And that's what Brock's Grit does. So we found it to yeah. be a more important inclusion at that point in time is where we ended up on that. Yeah, rookie. that makes sense. And as I played more with the Ninetales line, it seemed like the first Ninetales, even a lot of GX decks can kind of deal with one Ninetales. And then the second one is really, really hard. And so I could imagine that maybe there's some chance where they get through the second one. And so if you could get a third one out, then you should just always win. Oh, yeah, if you can get a third one in, um, you know, especially in a lot of those key matchups, it's just, it's a, it's a cakewalk. It's an absolute yeah. cakewalk. Because yeah. even if you're not putting them to sleep, yes, they might be retreating to other Pokemon, but that's just delaying the inevitable. And at the end of the day, if you take a 35-minute round or game one because they want to pivot around and try not to lose, that's mm-hmm. effectively all they're doing, right? And right. you can still win the match 1-0. Um, right. Another important piece to this um, and Mikey, maybe you can give us a little uh, anecdotal evidence to this uh, when you were playing uh, a Selgor Wabafet mm-hmm. uh, back in Expanded, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um, how important is understanding the board state and going to a game two with a slower type of deck like this? Oh, that, yeah, that's a that's a hard question um, because realistically, if you scoop up game one with, you know. And it's played for more than like t- ten between ten to fifteen minutes is like 
like into the round is about where you need to make the decision and that because your game two is going to take a long time. And if you do that, even if you scoop like 10 minutes in, you have to probably assume you're playing for the tie at that point, um, which is which is a tough thing. Uh, so I kind of took the route that I was either going to scoop in the first five minutes or I wasn't going to scoop the first game um, because because I kind of knew that. And so at least the regional that I played a Selgor, I won – uh, a lot of my matches won nothing. Um, and game two, there was some games where, you know, it was two or three turns away from finishing game two, but it didn't quite get there. Um, and, you know, it wasn't slow playing or anything. It was just, it, it, there's a lot of shuffling and, and whatnot that ends up happening. And, you know, there's just ways to, natural ways to drag drag out the game. Um, but yeah, so I think you got to like pretty much know within the first five minutes if you're going to be able to you know, come back from whatever deficit that, you know, the, the, the deck naturally, you know, gives up a couple prizes before it hits the lock. Uh, exactly right. And that's important. You know, that's important to uh, understand both sides of the coin uh, as well from, you know, if if the deck is fully set up against you and you feel like it's like swimming in quicksand or trying to climb out of quicksand, you need to pack it up, too, so you can give your chance to win, you know, two games on the on the on the hop. Um, yeah, th- th- this, this deck, you know, is certainly needs to understand, play some, play some physical repetitions, you know, playing online is one thing, but actually having to physically manipulate the card, shuffle, search, do all those things every single turn, that's time consuming. And if you're not ready for it, it can really uh, take you by surprise, I think. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, it, just real quick to just, to kind of wrap that up. Um, cause I would imagine most of the people listening to this, will be not playing Bahiam, but perhaps playing against it. So, um, yeah, so you can kind of take it one way or the other. You, um, If your deck is, you know, a pretty aggressive deck, something like Pikaram, you might actually, if you can tell that you're going to lose the first game, you might actually want to drag it out, you know, 30 minutes or so, because then you could say, okay, you know, I just, the only way I'm going to win this matchup is if I you know, win really, really quickly and win game two and three, boom, boom. Um, so, or, or like if you, you know, or, or you could say you're, you know, you're going to play for the tie and, and that's why you drag out the game longer. Um, if, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it's tough. It's a, it's, it's an annoying type of deck to play against. Um, but just kind of be mindful. Have a plan, I guess, be- beforehand uh, regarding the, time. The thing with Behem also, it has a lot of comeback value. Like you, I've, I've played many games where I was even down three prizes, but then once my lock was established, it was a wrap. So yeah. like you have to also keep in mind on what you have in your deck and, and where you're at that point in the game when you get down that low to see if it is feasible to still come back. Because there, there is t- times with this deck that it can't get behind, but once you get like two Pidgeotto and you're able to stream those behemoths, and you're in, that, you're, you're in the driver's seat for a good portion of the game on most matchups. Yeah. So what do we say we talk about some of those matchups? Um, Jeff, you just wrote an entire article about Dark Box. Um, we're not here to keep any secrets here, so let's talk about uh, the Dark Box matchup a little bit and maybe how, uh, if you're the Dark Box player, how you would beat this deck, or if you're the BHM de- player, uh, how you would beat Dark Box. Give me one second, saying goodnight to my pretty girl. Have a good night. 
So, um, Dark Box is a really good matchup for Behem, uh, just because of one big factor. Um, it can, takes four mysterious noises to knock out any of the tag teams in a deck. Um, and that is really rough for Behem. It takes, you know, takes the four different attacks there, uh, to do that. The big game changer for Dark Box is it has the Mega Sableye Tyranitar. Um, Behem gets to a point to where he gets so low in the deck that, um, if, you know, Dark Box and, and a game goes that far along to where Dark Box can get those 10 energies out. Um, get those 10 energies out, you can just do the uh, Gigafall GX to discard those 15 cards in your deck and just win the game that way. And even if you aren't, even if you're over 15 cards, discarding 15 cards in general on Behem at that, at, at, you know, that late point in the game, you could lose so many resources, you know, between the energy and Behem pieces, whatever it might be. Brox can't bring back those energies. So if you lose all your, t- your triple acceleration energies, you pretty much lose the game. Um, so Dark Box players really need to go into that game with that type of mindset. Another thing they want to keep in mind is power points. Uh, power plants. They want to be the second player to play the stadium. Um, otherwise, power plant is going to come up in the end and end up winning that stadium war. Um, now, on the flip side, Behem uh, can do a couple things to, uh, you know, you know, help us match it out. Uh, if they can get the item lock early, it forces your opponent to have to use um, what's it called, um, Dark Rise GX attack early. Which means they're not going to use Stabilize GX attack to discard all that all the cards in your deck. So if you really can get that early item lock and really force them to apply that pressure early, they're going to have to have a turn to where they're going to need to use the Dark Rise GX attack versus Tyranitar to halt you for a turn. Um, the second they do that, they lose. Uh, because you get once you get reset and caught and got uh, catch back on the lock, they don't have any pivot Pokemon like um, Pikaram does with Dawn Rings and Necrozma to stop the sleep. Um, there also aren't really any valuable um, non-GX attackers for the deck. There is Hoopa, but uh, Hoopa does not knock out a Ninetales because of uh, actually no Ninetales actually does not resist as usual fairy types do. So if, if you have a field of Pidgeotto, Hoopa can actually knock out a Ninetales, but getting to that is a little bit tough. So Darkrai wants to go Hoopa and wants to go Mega Sableye ultimately for the for the game, um, and play the stadiums around Power Plant. Behem needs to mitigate the power plants late. You know, use the Summoning Forest first to uh, make them play their sta- Dark Box play their stadiums early, ultimately getting the power plant locked down so energy is not shifting around. Um, and then you just kind of hold the lock from there for their win. Um, all very great points. The the, uh, the GX attack that uh, Dark Box has available to it uh, to lock the trainers, um, it seems like it would be good on surface uh, on the surface, but uh, why might not not be the best route, Jeff, uh, in the early game to go with that? Uh, well, the, the, that's, that's the best way to explain this. Even item locking Behem, you're only and you're getting that knockout as well with the GX attack there. You're only taking the one prize, um, and now you're giving Behem the chance uh, after the following turn of items to reestablish his board. All Behem is going to do at that point is feed you the, the Mareep um, and off-the-wall stuff while they reestablish their board. You're not going to be able to take out anything on the bench if they're item locking, so no custom catcher's plays there. Um, so as, once, the, once the board is reestablished, your lock is solidified because you're never going to deck out. Boom. Too easy. Mikey, jumping over to you. Uh, let's talk about some Malamar variants and kind of one of the reasons that, uh, despite working on the deck, maybe uh, pushed you away and kind of brought you to that wacky uh, Shedinja thing. So kind of package that up with a nice little bow on it for us. All right. So um, when I when we kind of like decided on having the Ninetales on the list and 
the list was only a couple cards off from what it is now. I was pretty pumped, uh, and I was like, okay, I, I've played the Pico on matchup uh, a couple times before, and I'm uh, I'm pretty sure this is fine and whatnot. I was like, the in my mind, the big question mark was, can this actually beat Malamar? And so I played. I only played two games against like a pretty straightforward like psychic Malamar deck. It had one GX in it, and they took the first prize both games. And then we were kind of like sitting there. I put we played a couple turns, and I was like, well. I'm pretty sure I can never, ever win this game from the BHM side. It's because basically what Malamar does, if they get set up, so, uh, you know, both both games, they took the first knockout and they got a couple Malamars up um, before I was able to item lock them. Also, crucially, they got uh, one of the games, they got one spell tag down and the other game, they got that two spell tags down, right? And so that's really big because... Um, even just one spell tag, uh, they can put all four counters on a Pidgeotto, and then, you know, just you have to knock out Giratinas in the matchup as Behem, um, and so just two Distortion Doors lets them kill a Pidgeotto then. Um, and two spell tags, they get to do that twice, and so that's two extra free prizes that they just jump ahead in the race on. But even disregarding that, um, if they take the first prize... You're both non-GX decks that are, you know, going to just be trading. And Malamar just plays pretty much from the board. Um, and so what they do is when they attack with Giratina, they just do the 40 damage to themselves um, because then Behem's 90 will then knock out the Giratina, so you don't have to worry about sleep at all. Um, and th- then you're not putting damage on your Malamars because if you put damage on your Malamars, then the Dugong can come and, uh, you know, make the prize trade better for Behem. So uh, if the Malamar player takes the first prize, it seems very, very hard, if not impossible, for Behem to win. Um, now, Kirk did mention before that you could get the early Dugong, so that's a way that you can kind of cheese a win against Malamar, which is cool. Um, I think if you're playing against any non-GX version of Malamar, you have a much better shot because uh, maybe they'll start it, maybe they're forced to play it um, because they need to, you know, Lily from more cards in their early game. Uh, just inherently, any of those decks that are running GXs, uh, or at least a heavier count of GXs, like the, the Giratina Garchomp or the Ultra Necrozma, their mm-hmm. deck is just a little clunkier than the straight version um, because they have to run different energies and, and whatnot. Uh, so I, I would imagine that the matchup is uh, at least a little bit better against those decks. Um, but so so because, because of those kind of disheartening games, I was like, okay, I kind of want to try some other... Uh, versions of Behem, um, and it still had, it didn't have the Sleep Stadium, but it still had, I think, two, one or two Mareep in the list, just because it is kind of, it, it is still good to just put them asleep while you item lock them, but, so I kind of got this idea from from Finnegan uh, to run, like, a Shedinja line, uh, so you run 4-3 Shedinja, and you run Amolgas, because Amolga has free retreat, uh, as well as it searches extra copies of itself out, which is nice for Pokemon communication and just to kind of, you know, get cards out of your deck and whatnot. Um, the it worked okay. It's just you still ran into issues that if they get spell tags down, that really hurts. Um, additionally, it's it's just a lot more stuff that you got to run in the deck. Uh, and so because of that, I was trying, instead of Pidgeotto, I was trying like a heavy Zeb Striker because you just need to see more cards all the time. Um, and I don't know, it, it, 
it didn't work as well as I would have hoped. So I think that if I was going to play Bahiam, I would just kind of chalk up the Malamar matchup as a really hard matchup and take some really favorable matchups elsewhere. And that's, I think that's the point. Uh, that's a great point, number one, and I, I, I second everything you've mentioned there. Um, but sometimes in these types of events, you know, just understanding where your loss is and hoping you fade it is a very reasonable approach. Yeah. Um, you know, there are some decks that have much more even matchups across the board, 45-55s or 50-50s or whatever. Um, this deck doesn't have all of those. All of yeah. those don't sit <laughs> like that. It does have incredibly strong uh, Blacephalon and uh, Reshizard matchups, uh, even Sylveon Guardian GX. Um, <laughs> you know, that, it, it, that deck's kind of been popping up in, uh, you know, as a Tier 2, Tier 3 option. Um, if it's got GX in the back end of its name, you've got a pretty good chance, I, I'd say, with this thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, the, oh. for, the format is so, there's so many, there's actually quite a lot of good decks, so uh, it's borderline impossible to have something that is favored versus everything. So yeah, I totally agree. I think it's, I think it's very okay to, to take one or two, maybe even poor matchups. And one thing to note as well, we whenever on the and we'll, you'll hear us on the call whenever it's uh, let out. But I asked each of the people on the call what they felt their the three top decks that'll be shown in like as far as attendance. And out of the four of us, only one person mentioned Malamar in the top three. Mm-hmm. Not to say that we're right or wrong, but as far as opinions across the board, they're feeling Malamar is more third, fourth versus any of the other decks. Yes. Just a quick little, just a quick little snippet there. Yeah, yeah. I really do think people have kind of had the fear of God put in them when it comes to single prize attacking decks because they don't have, you know, the Cherish Ball type support or maybe Electromatic Radar uh, that Picaram sees. Um, and the argument is that it's in, they're inherently uh, less consistent, which, although true, um, I don't think there's uh, so radically inconsistent to the point where they're unplayable. I'll say that. Um, Agreed. I do. Let's. Uh, so we. So we hit on uh, uh, dark box. We hit on uh, Malamar. Um, Jeff, you've you've been the Picaram pilot against me as we've tested this deck out. Yes. So uh, talk to me about that matchup. And uh, you know, you. I clearly saw it from the uh, the Zequil side, the Behem side. But what did, what did you see from the Picaram side? Because uh, at the beginning, you were beating the brakes off me, buddy. Yeah. So well, ultimately, the the, the it, it comes down to the list. Uh, period point blank because uh, what we discovered is I initially played my version of peek around my version of peek around played um, you know a lot of straightforward stuff two peek arounds two choo choos and I also added dong wings to Krasma. Um the biggest thing that kind of turned the matchup over was whatever your non-GX lightning attacker is and the two only like viable options are Zapdos and Electros from Unified Minds the reason that makes a huge difference is with the deck as has how it's built now Zapdos cannot one-shot a Ninetales. It has to two-shot it if they're able to ret- uh, re- uh, rush in and retreat with Dawn Wings to use Zapdos again. Uh, versus Electros can get that clean one-shot right away and withstand a knockout from uh, uh, Mysterious Noise from Behem. So that was kind of that big difference there. So having Electros really turned that matchup over. Now, also at the time when we played with Electros, Power Plant was not in the deck. And Power Plant really hurts Picaram a bunch. You can't Dawn Wings. You can't Free Retreat with uh, Thunderclap Zone of Zeoora. Uh, and right now, as it stands, as far as what the community has shown, Picaram really only plays two to three stadiums. 
the Thunder Mountain, and then a variation of Lysinger Labs, Viridian Forest, um, as their other options for stadiums. Uh, with that in mind, if you sit on Slumber Forest Strategy early part of the game and drop Power Plant at the right time under Item Block, you're more than likely going to have that Power Plant out there for a good amount of the game, locking up, you know, peak rounds and active, choo-choos, whatever it might be. Uh, so that's kind of the big trade-off there. So ultimately, I think Electros really turns that matchup over, um, but adding Power Plant to the deck really, really hurts peak Realms. The peak realm would need to bump up stadiums to have a higher chance, in my opinion, against uh, Behem. One other thing to note as well is the, if the Behem player does get a significantly slow start, like no bench really at all, um, and peak realm is able to get that first full blitz on onto itself, uh, without Mew in the deck, uh, that can actually you know turn the game a lot. Tough on taking out two L. Gims, taking out two Pidgeotos, whatever is an active. Uh, if really timing that right, if, if you're expecting a tag bolt, you got to make sure you load your bench with like dittos and extra Elgims so that way you can still move on in the next turn to attack. So a lot of different back and forth there, but I think Behaim with the list it is now, um, adding Nine Tails as well is is, uh, is fairly favored. Uh, that's a great point with the stadiums. Just want to touch on a little a little bit about the matchup here. Um, the good news is is the direction the deck has gone. Um, it's really uh, with uh, the heavier Ninetales line. That's really what you're prioritizing, right? Maybe one, um, just just one Mareep up front, uh, but you're setting up your bench to eventually your final setup is going to be two Ninetales, two Pidgeotos, uh, an Elgium, and then a Behem uh, to start chaining. So um, that's why we felt that the Mew wasn't really necessary, because... You're concerned with Mew is that they knock out two Pokemon and keep up in the prize trade with you. It's not that they knock out the Elgium. Like, that's going to happen regardless, and the Mew's yeah. not really protecting that. The protection you want is from just the two prizes, mm-hmm. and that's the real concern. Because when you have Ninetales up front, like, the worst they can do once they full blitz and knock out your Elgium to maybe break up your item lock, the worst mm-hmm. they can do is custom catcher up a Pidgeotto because the other two Pokemon you have are Ninetales. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. so they can't. So even on their item turn, even if it's one turn or two turns, they're not being. They're not really able to punch through in some meaningful manner before you can get set back up and continue attacking. So we felt Mew was really just kind of a dead card, a crappy bench sitter, because it's taking up the spot of a second Ninetales, because it's never taking the spot of a Pidgeotto or or anything like that, right? Because you need those as part of the engine. So it kind of just became a dead card. So just wanted to touch a little bit about why uh, Bench Barrier Mew, although incredibly strong, uh, actually found its way out of the deck because uh, uh, Alola Ninetales effectively does the same thing. Yeah. Can I mention two quick things? Um, Absolutely. So in regards to the non-GX attackers that, uh, that peek around plays, so I think it's important to realize, one, that Electros is clearly better than Zapdos against Behem, but it's not nearly as good as I initially thought because it does not actually switch itself. It's not Legendary Ascent. It's not Tapu Koko GX, right? All Correct. it does... Yep. All it does is move the energy to itself. But so if they so if you know if their active Pokemon is still sleeping, that Electros is not attacking that turn. So I, that's important to note. Um, and then the other thing is with Zapdos, which is definitely the more popular of the two. Yep. Um, Zapdos can't one shot an Alolan Nine Tails under Item Lock because they can't use Electro Power. Um, so that is kind of they can often get through the first Alola Ninetales, um, whether it's uh, using one Zapdos and maybe they wake up, or 
maybe they have to use both adapters. So the second Alola Ninetales is really the thing that seemed to me that was the the deal breaker in the matchup, getting two Ninetales out. Yeah, so. couldn't agree more. And we know those Picaram lists, as of right now, the versions we've seen or the P- the versions that people have touted online uh, for this new format, uh, don't play any Pokemon Recovery, right? They right. they have the Pokemon Acceleration, we'll call it, with like the Dedenne and things like that to kind of get that high-octane start. But they, they can fizzle out, and this deck is built to grind people out of the game uh, by limiting the items they can use. And when you start knocking out key Pokemon, them not being able to buy them back because people don't want to play Brock's because of what we mentioned before, how it can have kind of that stifling start. Um, jumping to the next deck, uh, should we should we put Reshizard, uh, Reshizard Greens, Reshizard uh, Blowns, and Blowns all together? Because I feel like that matchup just kind of all goes the same way, which is a landslide in your favor. Does anybody want to touch, uh, touch on that one for us? I'll actually say something about Reshizard, because the difference between Reshizard and Blowns is that Reshizard actually has a solid non-GX attacker. Uh, versus Blounds just has Picaram and Nagondale. Um So, I mean, not Picaram, uh, Blacephalon and So, Reshazard actually can, you know, you have to, when you're playing a Reshazard matchup, you go sleep strategy in that matchup if they go they go their Volcanian route. So, you got to really just play off what uh, Reshazard expects to do. Now, I do think once Item Lock is positioned or Item Lock is established on Reshazard, it's pretty much a done deal. They can't play their Great Potions. They can't play their... Um, Mixed herbs. They can't play any of their heal cards. Um, they're stuck to just playing greens and you know kind of getting their deck out to get through their energy um, and weldering to try to hopefully get rush star bulked up. Um, but other than that, uh, once the item locks status established, their deck becomes uh, just a clunk fest um, as far as rush star goes. I'll let someone take Blissephalon. Mikey, you want to touch on the Blissephalon matchup? Have you have you played against that at all, or I've, played I, as that side of the coin? Yeah, I've only played it like maybe maybe once or twice, but um, I mean, Blissephalon only has 180 HP, so you two shot it, which is really nice. Makes the game go a little bit quicker. Um, I don't. They they don't have a good way to get around Ninetales, so. There's some turns where you know if you if you miss the lock you can kind of just chill with the nine tails uh, mm-hmm. active uh, and you know maybe they have two of their custom catchers and they grab a single prize and then you send up nine tails again you say okay we're gonna we're gonna hang out for a little while um, so I don't know it's it seemed pretty straightforward and that's why I didn't really play it more than the couple times that that I did play it. Couldn't agree more. Last uh, point I'll put on that is uh, typically, you know, uh, against single prize attacking decks, uh, Blacephalon tries to go the Naganadel route uh, and use uh, Naganadel's attack. Uh, what, turning, turning point. point turning <laughs> point, uh, which only deals more damage if they're only at three prizes. But the rest of the time, it doesn't take a knockout on nine tails, but it's psychic weak. So they're they're actually two-shotting your wall while you're one-shotting them back with right. BEM and maintaining item lock. So that matchup is uh, is uh, duly in your favor if you can uh, set up the, the lock. Re- even, like Mikey said, even reasonably early, because yeah. you still can lock them down with sleep or have like a weird nine tails, you know, in the active, and they're just, it's just hard to work around. Because like I said, um, and the reason that we went to the, G- or the non-GX version of this deck, you know, there's the Keldeo, Silvalli, all that stuff, is when you miss item lock with this version, the worst thing they can do is take a prize. 
Right. Yeah. <laughs> when, yep. when yep. you miss the item lock against the uh, against the GX version, the worst they can do is take two prizes or three prizes, mm-hmm. and then it's usually an engine piece. It's either your wall. For example, they power plant you down, and then they just knock out Keldeo, or they take out Sil Valley, so now you can't pivot anymore, and now just everything's disrupted anyways, plus you gave up two prizes. So that's how we found our way away from uh, the GX version with kind of the sturdier Pokemon, uh, like Waylord, Tag Team, and things of that nature. Yep. Um, uh, uh, Sylveon, Gardevoir, I played that right before we started. Uh, Easy. It's the same thing as the Blacephalon matchup. They can't use any other items, so they just kind of hang out and can't hit into Ninetales or use Mixed Herbs or whatever, so that's pretty straightforward. Uh, Jeff, I know you did the Worlds uh, meta chat. What are some other decks that uh, might be presented uh, at Worlds to, to be considered here? Uh, there's a couple like smaller inclusions, so I think a lot of people are going to be straying away from non-GX decks in general. I think we kind of alluded to that a little bit in this call, uh, but mainly people are going to be focusing on those those big five that we mentioned, the Rechazar, Picaram, Mal, Blacephalon and uh, Weavile Darkbox. Um, but there's um, a couple outliers that could possibly sneak in. So um, Whimsicott is a deck that could pop up, and I'm not saying that as like a meme. I think some people are actually legitimately testing a deck. Um, I think only, in my opinion, two decks in the format, uh, one being our Tier 1 right now, one kind of on the outside Tier 2 in, uh, can really fit Power Plant in their deck successfully. And that's Richard and Green and Guardian. Um, which is what the deck really loses to outside of just coin flips as well. But <laughs> the fact that I get a power up instantly, uh, if you play the Porygon Z version and you play Recycle Energy to load all four Recycle Energy on it, um, and then even when it's knocked out, you get those four Recycle Energy back to your deck and you're able to hit for heavy damage again the following turn with your next Lumsicott. It also has the utility of Fairy Charms to you know slow down Pikaram, slow down any ability uh, GX Pokemon, slow down Ultra Beast decks, um, different stuff like that that it has the utility for as well. So uh, I don't know it would be a big attendance, but I wouldn't be surprised if 102 has some decent success at Worlds. Um, Breloom, Frostlass is another deck which I think we lose to. Depend- it pretty much comes down to who gets the first knockout. Um, that's really it. Breloom gets it first, They're probably and they can keep the knockouts going, they probably win. If uh, we get the first knockout and we can keep that going, we'll probably win. Because it's a non-GX battle there. Um, yeah. The, so. the, only thi- the only thing I'll just jump in quick on that one yeah. is that, unlike Malamar, Breloom needs to actually like find cards to, yeah. to keep to keep it up, so I feel like that would probably be playing your favor. Um, yeah, yeah, but it, it, yeah. It's probably at least it's. I agree, it's probably pretty close, but it's probably slightly more favored than Malamar is for sure. I think I think in that scenario they would you know go frost last, frost gets knocked out, promote Marie, sleep, and then do that live chain. You know, then Marie gets knocked out, you repeat, rinse at that point. Um, if they can get frost as the first attacker, I play frost a little bit. I like the card a lot. Um, I think a lot of people are sleeping on it. I think two shotting a lot of the cards in the format as well as uh, one shotting Rexar Blounds is super dope. Um, outside of that, there wasn't anything really uh, cheeky. Um, some people talked about the grass decks, uh, but that's GX based, and I think Behan will just look at that and laugh. Um, there's a couple of non-GX attackers in the deck, but they take they need more setup than we do. I feel like um, I haven't played the deck a lot, but there's a lot of moving pieces, and yeah, so um, that'd be one thing as well. Um, well uh, Eric Smith mentioned uh, Keldeo Walls um, has been hyped some, which is also just another free matchup for us. <laughs> uh, so uh, yes, bring him on. Keep hyping on the GX stuff. Um, 
Outside of that, I mean, everything's pretty much straightforward what we've seen so far. There's been some talk of Nagana Del GX Control um, as well, uh, which I would figure would be in our favor. I don't think there's any kind of energy disruption that would really stop us. The energy's going back in our deck anyway, so um, I figured that'd probably be a, a free matchup as well. So um, definitely more GX decks that were mentioned than non-GX decks, which in my opinion is a thumbs up for Behem. Mm. I, I can't disagree with that. Mikey, do you have uh, any other assessments you want to lay out there about this deck? Um, we, we've, uh, as, as I said before, we kind of beat the brakes off this thing. I think we've got a pretty good idea of what we got going on here. So give us some uh, some last thoughts on the deck moving forward. Um, I know you said you, you might be off of it just because you don't want to take that Malamar L uh, or that tough Malamar matchup. But uh, give us your final thoughts on the deck. Yeah. Um, before that, just quick, the only other two decks that kind of come to mind – as potential threats are like the Mew Mew deck, um, yeah. which which is probably might even be the most free matchup for a Behem. Like you got, yeah. we have we have power plants, we have weakness, we on them we have Alola Ninetales. Like I I have no idea how they would even like you would just have to completely dead draw to lose that matchup. Um, and the other deck that I, I've tried some different Aerodactyl variants and I feel like that could Aerodactyl pop up. Hurts. Yeah. Um, yeah, Aerodactyl could be a little annoying, but I think it'd probably be okay for Behem. Just long, I mean, long like, the power plants at the right time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Aerodactyl only adds a cost to basic Pokemon, so I think you're fine. Oh, it's basics. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, you cycle so, past oh, that. Okay, yeah. Sweet. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think it's. I think that should be a pretty good matchup. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the deck is. Fairly well positioned minus the Malamar matchup. So if you're cool trying to trying to dodge Malamar, um, and you, so the other thing the other thing that I, I would really recommend if you're interested in playing Behem, kind of like Kirk said, actually play with it physically, um, and y- like you you gotta actually test some games with it because there's a, there's a lot of little decisions that you have to make uh, with a deck like this. You gotta know w- what to do when you miss. A, a turn of attacking and that's like that's like a really tough thing and, and like because it feels really bad and you kind of like there's times where you you know you might play a supporter and you use Pidgeotto twice and your deck's like not that thick and you're like all I need was the triple energy or you know it takes you to turn four or five to find the first triple energy um and that happens and you just got to like not let it tilt you because if it if you know if it if you get tilted on over that, with a deck like this, you're going to lose the game very quickly, um, and so you kind of you, you gotta like be prepared that those situations are going to come up. There's a lot of moving pieces in a deck like this, and just so naturally, there's going to be turns where things don't go the way that you that you planned, um, and so that's that's why it's important to actually play play a good amount of games with this. Um, but yeah, that's it. Just uh, my final thoughts to piggyback off what you're saying. Pick up the deck, shuffle it up, actually play uh, play the deck to understand the sequencing, but not just the sequencing, how much shuffling is actually involved. Um, historically and famously, uh, in 2017, I played Archie's Blastoise at Fort Wayne and went 4-0-5 um, because I had only tested the deck online. I had never actually shuffled up the deck. And when I got to the tournament, I was... Just not used to physically, okay, you know, online you scroll through your cards and you quick click and you know how much of everything you got. But I was just 
so one new to the game and two just so incredibly slow at doing the physical actions of it that <laughs> some of my wins actually got played into draws because i just couldn't play fast enough because i wasn't used to it so i do want to say that in terms of the deck uh, what's great about this deck is the decision tree at the beginning is enormous and near the end of the game, it's completely <laughs> automatic. Yeah. Right. So that's that's a beautiful thing is you kind of you get to kind of shut your brain off to finish out the game before you have to ramp it back up uh, to kind of get everything going. So it does offer that. And the last thing I will say, uh, besides the matchups that we talked about, it does have a piss ton of basics in it. It does. It is a single prize attacking deck. It does have non GX Pokemon all over it, um, and it suffers the the inconsistencies as such. I'm not saying it's inconsistent. I'm saying it does have more inconsistencies than some of its GX counterparts. So, all that being said, last thing I'm going to touch on, Mikey, I'm going to pitch it to you. The World Poke Party. That's going down Saturday night. Talk to us about it. Yeah, man. Uh, so last year, Kirk was kind enough to organize a, uh, a poker party in Nashville. Uh, and it was kind of on a – it was at a bar and a lot of people were out on kind of like the pseudo roof deck. And we probably had about 50 people show up. But it was – you know, for someone like me who's kind of been in the game for a while, uh, it was especially cool because – uh, there was lots of different groups that I, you know, interact with throughout the day that, you know, they, they moseyed through at some point during the night and I got to hang out with them and I ended up meeting people. Uh, there's always more people to meet in the Pokemon community as well. So uh, that it was an opportunity to do that. Met a lot of, of new people as well. And it was it was just a good time. So um, so I. Kirk initially wasn't going to come to D.C. Uh, this year and I'm glad he's coming now. But so I kind of thought, well, I, I only live. 45 minutes away from DC. I live in Baltimore. So, uh, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll try to organize it a little bit. So, uh, Rahul Reddy and I went into the city a couple weeks ago and we kind of went and checked out a couple different places. And, uh, we found this one place that unfortunately it's, it's not a rooftop bar, but it is a, uh, it, it, it is a quite a big space, uh, with, uh, I, I, I think it'll be a good chill spot, lots of room, uh, for people to kind of just hang out and decompress after, you know, uh, after maybe they did really well or really poorly um, after the event and to kind of just have a nice meeting spot for all the different people that have traveled to the world championships. So uh, I hope people come and hang out. Uh, It was one of the best experiences that I've had uh, in my time going to Pokemon events and I've been going to Pokemon events for quite a long time. So I think that means something. Let me give him the logistical details, Mikey. It's at Penn Social. It's about uh, four or five blocks away from the convention center. It's about mm-hmm. a ten-minute walk. Um, uh, Mikey and I will be there around seven. Um, and if uh, you find us, we'll give you a wristband, and that wristband is going to get you some drink specials. I believe it's on a couple draft beers, maybe like Blue Moon and Miller Lite, some kind of run-in-the-mill stuff. Uh, but for a venue that's letting us soak up their real estate and not charging us anything and giving us drink specials uh, in the a little bit more costly town of Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. I think it's a pretty uh, pretty good free gig there uh, that they're able to, to do that for us. So. Absolutely. Super excited about that. I hope everybody makes it out to that uh, specifically. Uh, last thing, Mikey, that I need you to do, the floor is yours. Any shout-outs or uh, places people can find you on the social, all that good stuff, take it away. Yeah, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike Fouché. It's just my name. Um, 
I don't really – I used to uh, kind of host the Six Prizes podcast, and I wrote for Six Prizes. Maybe if I play this year, I'll start writing again. So always shout-out to Six Prizes. Uh, always loyal to them. Uh, and shout-out to a couple of my good friends that will be playing at Worlds this year, Sam Chen, Pablo, Meza, and Ross Cawthon. Going to really try to help them prepare and get ready. Mikey, love to have you on, buddy. Uh, glad I got to meet you and become uh, such good pals with you yeah, that you're willing to hop on here and do this uh, do this for Jeff and I. Uh, Jeff, yes. anything you want to plug? I know you've been working on some different things, so run us through the article, the other episodes you did, all that good stuff. Take it away. Yeah, uh, super excited for what you know has come this, this summer as far as you know pushing out di- different deck lists and kind of what I've stepped up to try to do for the community this summer uh, between different streams, between um, hopping on different podcasts uh, for different uh, content creators as well. Uh, coming up soon, it'll be a dark box article, all different texts and inclusions that I kind of uh, went through, uh, my thoughts on each card inclusion, and then uh, ha- it'll have three lists on there as well uh, as far as what I have currently for dark box. Um, we're also going to be releasing our world's meta discussion podcast Part two uh, with Emery Taylor and the Candy Crew, uh, uh, Carl Barone and Eric Smith. Uh, there will also be myself on the Sacker Scoop podcast tomorrow uh, with Zachary Everest and a plethora of other guests as well. So, um, And lastly, i also been hopping in with Team Fish Knuckles on his YouTube channel uh, doing some uh, one-on-one matchups, doing a little gauntlet, uh, playing different decks that we have. Uh, but he is, well, it should be posted maybe today, maybe tomorrow, um, of me beating a snot out of his Dragonite deck with it. So, uh, yeah, lots of stuff I've been trying to do for you guys. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Super excited for the year and hope I can keep pushing this uh, this content for you guys. Jeff, certainly appreciate the last thing. We were trying to shoot for three episodes before Worlds. Unfortunately, oh, yeah. uh, um, Jeff uh, got on with uh, Mia Violet, a Pacific Northwest player, and uh, they were just talking about all the different rogue decks they could come up with and cram into about uh, an, an hour-long conversation. And unfortunately, uh, that audio file got corrupted. So Mia, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry we really wanted to push that out because she had some wild ideas of uh, for Worlds. She's always brewing up something. Follow her on Twitter for sure, at Miaboo. Uh, I think it's M-E-E-A-B-O. Uh, but she's always posting insane Pokemon deck ideas uh, and really just uh, the, the, the cook in the kitchen coming up with all the heat. So uh, big shout out to her for taking the time. Unfortunately, that didn't quite pan out. We'll but, get it back to you guys. We'll get it out to you guys. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely we'll try to work on something to, to make up for it. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Doobsnacks, D-O-O-B-S-N-A-X. You can find Jeffrey at on Twitter at SaranRap, S-U-R-R-A-N-W-R-A-P. But ultimately, the Victory Road leads you back to our main Twitter account at the Super Oddcast on behalf of the sexy hot chocolate Jeffrey Saran <laughs> and the, the, the magician Mikey Fouché. I'm Kirk. And uh, we hope we made your Rod Peel super again. We'll see you at Worlds, baby!